Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Meaningful Learning Podcast channel with me, Dr. Samantha Cotrera. On this podcast channel, you'll find a collection of my conference presentations from 2016 onward. To learn more information about this work, as well as all my work, visit my website at www.samanthacotrera.com. This paper is called Resistance as Negotiation, New Perspectives on Misbehavior in the National History Classroom. I presented this at the Provoking Curriculum Conference that was held at McGill University in Montreal, Canada in February 2017. It was a very, very cold, <laughs> very, very cold conference, um, but it was really great to be able to explore some of these ideas. This notion of resistance uh, by students in a Canadian history classroom is something that you may notice that comes up in 2016, 2017, 2018, because I'm really trying to explore what these notions of resistance might mean when students are in a Canadian history classroom and rejecting or resisting these ideas. This is one of the first times I started exploring these, and it was really uh, wonderful to be able to do this with the provoking curriculum crowd. So enjoy this paper. Uh, my paper is called Resistance as Negotiation, New Perspectives of, Canadian, of uh, Misbehavior in the Canadian History Classroom. Um, this work comes out of my doctoral research, but for the last two years in particular, I have, uh, since, completing, um, since completing my uh, doctorate, um, I've, I've re-engaged with the data um, to focus more specifically on Canadian history. So for the last couple of years, I have been revising or kind of rewriting the work for a, a manuscript for UBC Press called Imagining a New We. And in this book, uh, in the manuscript, what I'll be arguing is that when we focus on students rather than teachers uh, and in teaching and learning Canadian history, what we find is that students want something a lot different than what teachers are, are teaching. Uh, there's, a, there's a big emphasis on teaching the right content and the right skills and the right curriculum. But when we're focusing on students, we're getting a much different um, perspective on what the Canadian history class could do and what it's not doing. And this is what I call imagining a new we. Because young people today um, recognize that the Canada that they see around them is not the Canada that they see in their textbooks or reflected in their curriculum. And they want to see this reflected in their Canadian history classrooms and they're not getting it. So I argue that what they're looking for is connection, complexity, and care. But when I was revising this or doing some last minute edits before sending it back off to the publisher, um, I looked at two different passages from a couple different, from two different chapters that I hadn't really thought of together. And those two perspectives made me really think more about what students were talking about, what students were really saying through their resistance. And that's where I come to this paper today. Um, so I'm, I feel like I'm at the early stages of thinking through this, but I'm going to be sharing a couple stories with you today about moments of resistance and what their meanings were, I, I believe, from the students themselves, given the context of teaching. So the first, the, so I said there's, there were two moments that I, when I looked at them together, they kind of provoked some new questions. So the first was a quote from a teacher that I was working with. I worked in four different high school history classrooms, but for the book, I focused on one teacher, uh, one class in a mainstream school in particular. Uh, this teacher was awarded and rewarded for being a 
fantastic student-centric teacher. She was really interested in bringing in um, content that, that connected to her multicultural students, um, but her practice didn't always reflect that. So she had said that even though there wasn't a um, black history course or an African studies course in their school where there was a 70% population of black students, she found it sad, but she also said it's like once you heard it, have you heard it? This comment, right? I know. This comment really um, identifies that for her there was one particular narrative of black history that you were able to add to other things, but then once you've heard it, you heard it. This teacher also identified that she saw herself as a bridge. Um, where uh, as a history teacher, she was that bridge to connect the past to, quote, to an understanding of students' own identity. Because many of my students who are immigrants who don't have these conversations around the dinner table like I did growing up. Um, don't, yeah, I know. So on one hand, she was saying that there isn't really much left for them to talk about. On the other hand, she sees it as her integral role to be that bridge to connect teacher, to connect students that she identified as poor immigrant students, none of which was true, um, to uh, Canadian history, to the Canadian history past. So in thinking about that moment, I then thought about a moment of resistance that I encountered when I began my research with the students. Um, I'm going to talk about it in more depth, but it's an activity that I've done in countless situations with a wide variety of age groups, uh, activist groups, classroom groups, professional teachers, and it has always been a success. But this particular class, it wasn't a success. Um, the students were very willfully misbehaving um, in a way that I had never encountered before, nor had I encountered, uh, will I have encountered 30 minutes later with a different class. So this was a puzzling moment for me, borrowing from Ballinger, about what this was actually saying. And while I, uh, I recognize that there's always flaws in practice, what's really key was that the students were really demonstrating to me that I wasn't in charge and that I wasn't coming in with as much newness as they were expecting. So what do those two situations have to do with each other? Um, uh, I'm going to puzzle that out by talking a little bit about the observational period, but first let me just give you some context of this school. Um, so this Canadian history teacher was proud of herself as a Canadian history teacher. She boasted about that quite a lot. Um, and she uh, called this, though, her crazy class, her crazy class, that she just wasn't able to connect with. And she othered her students quite often by pathologizing them as learners, by identifying them as immigrants, even though data from the school and conversations with the students identified otherwise. Um, and she kept saying it was, it was on them. Um, that they were crazy, they didn't want to be there, and, uh, and she said when she walked into class the first day of class, she saw students that were not Canadian, and she had to re-identify how she was going to teach Canadian history. Now, it's true that none of the students wanted to be there. Um, I, my context is in Ontario, so I'm talking about grade 10 history, it's our national, uh, our, our uh, mandatory Canadian history class. 
it's true that none of the, the students want to be there. Uh, this was paired with a careers class that was taught with, without much relevance to their life. Uh, it was mandatory. They were mostly racialized students, most of whom had been identified as at risk, uh, whatever that meant. Um, these students were flippant and they were dismissive and they were rebellious. Um, but when listening and watching them closely, they also seemed bored and needy and astute. Many of the students had a long history of disregard and benevolent pandering or falling through the cracks of an education system that was seemingly not designed to support or even reflect them. So through both implicit and explicit messages, they knew that Canadian history class was not going to necessarily be a place that was going to be open and welcoming to them. And they demonstrated this continuously. This meant the students entered their history class believing that it was not going to be a place that had an unconditional and unsubtractive invitation to bring their full lives to class. And from this, I'm borrowing on Cohn and um, Venezuela. Students were in their own world of texting and music and parties and clothes, and all that changed during the day was the room that these conversations took place. But in small ways, through their resistance, students demonstrated that they were keen to learn, they were interested in connecting, but were skeptical that they could get teaching and learning that connected to who they understood themselves to be as Canadians. And they were right. But this teacher was so thrown off by these students that even before the research started, she did not believe her students were in a position to connect um, or uh, understand the complexity of the Canadian story or stories. She felt like it was her responsibility to teach the students, whom she understood, as I mentioned, as poor immigrant students, to gain an appreciation of Canadian history proper. And so thus, she read their resistance as evidence for their inability to learn and uh, engage in the study of the past. Not just their unwillingness, but their inability to do so. The result was a self-fulfilling prophecy of students' otherness uh, and the limiting of instructional or narrative attempts at connection or complexity for the students. So I used a design-based research methodology, which was a blend of ethnography, action research, and grounded theory. I did three different stages. One was an observational stage. The next was an intervention stage in which I brought in something that we then kind of tested, and then a follow-up stage. In the observation stage, every single class that I was in, the students asked for black history every single day, um, and multiple times in a class. The, um, the teacher would joke about this request, and the teacher prefaced this request before I had even got to the classroom by saying that, at, she told me the story at least three times, that one of her students said in September, uh, were they going to study black history in February? This was a non-semester school. In all the retellings, the teacher paused at her answer and said, well, we're going to study black history all year. She told the story to mark her, that her students were asking for material that connected to them, but she found it incredulous that they, she would only be expected to cover it in February. She told the story to highlight that she cared and was informed uh, enough to counter students' question with this kind of disbelief it would, that black history would only be covered in February um, in order to assert that she know, knew better that it was, should, should be covered throughout. 
but this didn't, um, this didn't result in her practice. Thus, when I came in in February, March, black history as anything that the students understood was not being covered. And I heard over and over and over again, when are we gonna learn black history? When I was introduced in class, the students said, are you gonna teach us black history? Now, obviously, I read as a very typical teacher. I'm white, I'm middle class, I come to school dressed up to demonstrate that I uh, respect students as learners in this particular space. So when in bringing me in class, there wasn't necessarily a visual interruption in their learning. When I first heard this story about whether or not we were going to cover black history in February or throughout the year, I was excited to work with a teacher that shared similar commitments with me about how to listen to students' requests, how to integrate their needs, not as a way to add and stir, but as a way to challenge traditional narratives. This is not to understand Canadian history and black history as separate but equal, but rather to understand them as the same and therefore must be understood as being the same. However, she told the story to demonstrate her ability to recognize the importance of doing this, but not necessarily have any solutions. In an effort to come up with a solution, she wanted to demonstrate her students' grassroots by bringing them in a picture of a World War I battalion that was taken outside of the school during World War I. She asked students to look at the picture and identify who was in the picture and who could, who could go to war and who couldn't. When she said who was in the picture, one of the students quickly said white people. And another student said, we couldn't do anything. The teacher never provided other information about why, uh, why she was bringing in this picture, what it meant for her, and to complicate this notion of whiteness. Rather, she brought it in to demonstrate that it was the exclusion of history that connected to her students, not necessarily the inclusion into the narrative. When she, was at, when she asked the students to gather around this picture to be able to engage with it, the students were very quiet and very attentive. As soon as she asked this question and didn't follow up, the students' behavior returned to normal, talking, texting, listening to music. In order to get the lesson back on track, she brought them down to the front of the school, showed them a series of veteran photos and asked them, uh, or showed them the fact that there was one veteran who was a black man. And she kept pointing him out as the embodiment of absence. Again, initially students were very quiet in listening to this, but that was as far as the history went. What she did was she used this as an embodiment of absence rather than the statement of presence. As soon as students recognized that they weren't going to learn about the difficult histories, they knew it already. They knew it was easy to say that black people weren't part of the past. Their behavior returned to normal. And by normal, I mean willful disengagement. So thus, um, oh, so, sorry. And then when we came back to the room, um, the students were started asking other questions that the teacher asked, that the teacher identified as misfiring all over the room. They asked about the first interracial couple in Canada. They compared war to gang violence that they had seen in their communities. And they asked how Toronto got its name. Whenever students were asking these questions and the teacher was responding to them, the room felt quiet. But after class, the teacher was so anxious about this last part of class, the only part of class that actually demonstrated learning taking place, and said that she apologized for students misfiring all over the room, but that's what happens when you have a crazy class that can't connect to Canadian history. 
However, this was the history they were interested in knowing. This was the way that they were demanding to challenge and subvert the curriculum by asking questions that aligned with what they understood about themselves and the world around them. Thus, I argue that resistance in the classroom demonstrated by these, um, these moments of the teacher uh, misunderstanding how to um, connect the, with the complexities of students' lives as Canadians. I argue that the resistance in this classroom it was a way for the students to interrupt the dominant narrative of Canadian history to ensure that their inclusion was present in teaching. These students were countering the narrative that they were being told. They were countering the narrative that they did not exist and punctuated it with loud, boisterous misbehavior that ensured that the teacher continuously knew of their presence. They were not the embodiment of absence. They were present and they knew that their families were present and they wanted to ensure that this disruption allowed those families to be present through the very disruption of the curriculum. So to return to the resistance that I started with by saying that I came in with an activity. So um, I come to learning history from the uh, post-structuralist uh, post um, approach in which I want students to deconstruct the Canadian narrative and then reconstruct it according to how they understand it and then challenge it with new stories. Um, so the first step is a mapping step in which we use something like a textbook to get students to pull out all the kind of typical names and dates and ideas that are relevant for the period. And then we just ask them to group and label them. What this does is it kind of beats the bushes of the kind of standard Canadian curriculum and then we spend the rest of the term challenging why these people over these people. So this is normally a really um, fun activity for a lot of people. They like being able to start with themselves as knowers. They know the logic of the curriculum to know that there's a dead white guy in a portrait. His name is probably going to be familiar. Um, and they like the fact that they get to move around different concepts, different names and dates to make sense to them. But in this particular classroom, the students found the steps baby work and boring, and they refused to participate. Um, the students actively resisted by refusing to look through the textbook, by refusing to write down historical concepts they saw, and in this case, by historical concepts, I mean names and dates and ideas, um, or accepting the explanation that this history would, or this activity would, lead to more inclusive history. We just had to get over this step first. Um, when the groups that, when the students that did participate got into their groups to organize these post-it notes into um, uh, concept maps, uh, students would run around the room, they would put post-it notes on people's back, they would take them off cer certain sheets and put them on other sheets. I, I have done this activity with grade three students and I have never encountered that type of behavior. Um, they were doing everything they could to make the lesson fail and to ensure that the end result of having these complete concept maps were not going to take place. So this failure of this, this activity was puzzling to me because of the fact it has always been successful and it was successful 30 minutes later with a different class. This, it prompted me to think about what students' resistance were telling me about this invisible curricula, um, especially given the teacher and the context that was part of the observation period. 
Upon reflection, I began to appreciate that perhaps because the students felt that they had been subjected to six months of textbook-based Canadian history, Starting this activity with a textbook was essentially asking them to validate the version of history that isolated them and that they were very clear since I entered the classroom that they did not want. On top of that, the majority of the previous six months had covered war, something that students weren't interested in. Um, we were going to be doing the post-World War II period, so they had looked at World War I and World War II up at that point. Um, while the post-World War II period was covered over four chapters of the textbook, the first chapter on the Cold War may have actually seemed like a broken promise of what we were going to do separate from war. Even when students saw pictures or read headings or saw paragraphs in the textbook that referenced things that they were interested in, such as the growing multiculturalism in the 60s and 70s, the rise of rock and roll in the 1950s, Students needed encouragement to add these concepts because their previous experience in class indicated their, their interests would not be uh, privileged. I thought the activity would get them where they needed to go and that that would be enough. I didn't pay attention to the strength of their interruption or the need for me and my promises to be tested. Thus, I realized another way I could have broached this activity to build greater bonds of trust between me and the students since I had witnessed this rejection um, and this resistance in the classroom before is to start with students' interests and then move to the textbook. Rather than, um, uh, rather than trying to build relationships with the historical content, we could have started with their relationships as a way to build history. We could, we could have had students list all their interests on the blackboard and encourage them to go through the textbook to find the names, dates, and ideas that aligned with their interests. Because of the logic of the textbook, students would probably have listed the usual suspects from the period as well as concepts more in alignment with their interests, but starting with them first could have been the needed sing signal to quell their resistance that we were going to do something different for them. Students in this class were not opposed to learning. They were just opposed to learning history that had nothing to do with them. In reviewing the concepts that they eventually had made in their mind maps, the students chose concepts that spoke to the history they wanted, such as stereotypes, tolerance, immigration, Caribbean, and boycotting. Interestingly, in the next class, these concepts did not come up, but those, those, um, those particular concepts indicated what they needed and wanted, but they had been saying that all along, we just hadn't heard it. This forward and backwardness, saying that I'm not in the past, but look at me in this present, demonstrates a strong need for inclusion and recognition in the past and present of Canada. Students I worked with shared that resistance strategies were calls for more attention and need from the teacher, not less. But unless a teacher starts with recognizing the curricular possibilities for this resistance, the focus will always be on the teacher and how to do things better and right and not the student and what they need from their history narratives to move forward into the future. Thus, while misbehavior and low achievement in history class can be interpreted as, uh, can be interpreted by teachers as students not knowing or not being able to know, like the teacher that I worked with, it is through students' misbehavior and willful disengagement that students actively and intensely negotiated the nation by pushing against national curriculum that disavowed their selves, histories, and also their futures. 
students' rejection of the traditional national history curriculum can then be understood as an important component of their learning. In rejecting a national narrative that includes them, excuse me, that excludes them, students practice the skills of spiritual salvation that maintains hold of their histories, that includes their selves, accepts, and embraces them. If they paid attention and respected in the learning environment, they would not then ignore and disrespect the class. And this happened over and over again. It is through the intense and provocative interaction with the curriculum that students demand that the curriculum be ruptured by their presence. It is through the emotional and passionate and angry disavowal of the silence in the curriculum that these young people demand the presence in the classroom. Thus, it is through the provocation and attention to these emotions in the complicated concept of conversation of curriculum that young people can begin to be prioritized in the Canadian history classroom and thus reframe how we can imagine a new we in both our Canadian past and our Canadian future. Thank you. Thank you.